0: Thieves, cutthroats, and other undesirables throng the narrow alleys, and sisters of Scarlet sit in the doorways of their place of business, catching you by the sleeve as you pass by. The dregs of the world are here unsifted. Marseille is the world's wickedest sport.
1: edition of the European Football Show. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Healy, based in Seville
0: in South of Spain. And uh, with me today is Morad Airs based in, in Marseille. Hello Morad. Hello Alan. Hello Chris. Hello hello everybody. Uh, and also Chris Burke who's based in Paris. Hello Chris. Hello there. How's
2: everyone
1: doing? Great. Uh, so yeah it's great to have my two guests with me here today. Um, as you may have guessed the topic of today's show is Marseille and Paris Saint Germain. And uh, The two biggest clubs in France, and two of the most historical clubs in European football. Um, it's, been, it's been very interesting to me for a very long time, because I feel like both cities and both clubs are very significant, uh, both culturally, and off the pitch, and culturally on the pitch. Uh, Marseille is the second largest city in France. Paris is obviously the largest. Uh, last season in Ligue 1, Marseille finished second, whereas PSG finished first. Uh, they're the two most popular football clubs in France, and they're the two highest average tenancies in France for many years now. Um, France is a very centralized country, and so all the power, both in politics and economics, is based in Paris. But Marseille has a very strong cultural identity itself. And Le Classique, which is the battle between Marseille and PSG, is billed as you know the Madrid versus Barcelona of France, it's the central power. Against the provinces, it's against, it's, it's the rich football club against the kind of historical football club with a kind of tradition of fighting for every ball, you could say. So to begin with, I just want to get an understanding of what defines Marseille as a city and a club and what defines Paris as a city and PSG as a club. So if I could begin by going to Morat and just asking him what's his opinion on Marseille as a city and what sets it apart from other cities throughout Europe and in France.
0: And how does that link into his perception of the club? Yeah, it's a rather large question. I, I I would say if I had to, to 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 choose to pick one word to describe Marseille as a city, I would pick mess messy. It's really um, I mean it's how to say um, an appealing mess. That's what Marseille is because really in this city nothing is like. Like in the rest of France, you do not understand and therefore, for for better or for worse because we have like um I don't know the, the, the streets are dirty, the we we, we have a lot of, of down down pound, but then you know you're really attracted by the city. It has a soul in every street, in every person that you talk. It's people are a bit over the top, but that's that's perfect for a football club. And the football club is exactly that. The OM is an appealing mess. All different president and um, and t- tons of people try to change to change that to kind of tame it to to tame the mess that this club is, but it's uncontrollable and it's always exploding. You don't you do not even understand why it's exploding right now when everything is supposed to be gone, but it does explode and. I mean, there, there is some kind of fire in the, in the heart of this beast. And it's really great to, to, to follow it, to live through it. And, and the city is really similar in many, many aspects. Fortunately, we, we have things to, to improve, both in the city and in the club. I mean, uh, once again, I mean, they are really similar. And that's what I will say, an appealing mess. That's Marseille. That's what OM is as well.
1: <laughs> Very interesting. And can you explain the significance of the concept of Grinta and how important that is
0: to the club? Grinta, okay. Yeah, well, actually, you know, Grinta, it's a word that doesn't exist, you know. It's something, you know, it's something that comes from Italian because we, we often use this word uh, for... For, 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 for talking about what South American might bring to your team, this type of rage on the field and the, this desire to to overcome what you can give. Yeah, so ob- obviously, like in a lot of club, I mean, Marseille is really poor city as well. And um, it has those value of like going farther than what uh, you were supposed to, where you're supposed to go. I, I'm not really a big fan of this uh, green time concept, actually, to be to be frank. But obviously, we, we adore when we saw a player that is uh, is killing himself on the field. I mean, not literally, but you know, that go beyond uh, his capacity. But that's what is green time. Then I don't know, you know, it's a nebulous concept for me. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Um, Chris, I know it's a very difficult task to try and define Paris as a city, so I said I'll said, ask you how does the idea of Paris in one of the most expensive cities in the world and also one of the most visited cities in the world, and the most iconic cities in the world, how does that tie in to the brand of Paris Saint-Germain for you and what is Paris Saint-Germain as a club?
2: First of all, I, I just like to say about Marseille, I've been there a few times and I remember one of my last trips there uh, talking about the mess. There was a, I think there was a strike by the garbage collectors and <laughs> they have garbage bags just stacked up like meters high in the street everywhere. And uh, it seemed completely normal to everyone <laughs> who's living there.
0: Uh, no, to, to be fair, it was not normal, but once again, typical Marseille because the, the, the city all wanted to change the company that is uh, picking up garbage. And <laughs> these companies said, <not> all right, <laughs> But then we go on strike. So do whatever you want now. And it was, I mean, it was a bad moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Paris is, I guess, uh, maybe more of an organized mess because uh, they've managed to keep the, the richness and the splendor and the opulence in the center, and then um, kind of relegate um, everything they don't want uh, to the, the banlieue the kind of neglected uh, run down suburbs outside the city, which is a, you know, a, a point of massive contention here. And, um, um tension, and conflict, uh, the, the kind of boy was over from time to time. Uh, but Paris, you weren't saying Paris is more of an idea in, in a way that when you think of it, and you had to boil it down, and you think of the history, you think of the landmarks, uh, the glamour, the chic fashion and the art and perhaps the food, like a whole list of things that represent uh, elegance and sophistication. And Paris as a club definitely uh, do feed off that reputation as part of their brand. Um, you've got the Eiffel Tower and the logo for a start. And one of their first presidents right, right back at the start when they were first founded was, uh, a fashion designer, Daniel Hester, who designed the, the famous shirt with the red band down the middle, which they've uh, reinstated this, uh, season for the 50th anniversary. And even back in the day in the early 70s, uh, one of their biggest fans was, uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo, who I'm sure Morad knows, uh, uh, French actor. And, uh, that's still part of their DNA, that, that kind of sense of glamour uh every champions league game you go to the the camera will point at some famous faces in the crowd yeah the leonardo dicaprio's of this world and the club definitely try to portray their brand globally as chic and glamorous I and mean, that is their their big selling point on the other hand uh, they've always seemed like i think to certainly to fans of other clubs around, around france a somewhat artificial club in the way that they came about uh, most clubs developed uh, 100 years ago uh, organically in, in working men's clubs and things like that, whereas PSG was a very conscious decision uh, made by a group of investors uh, at the start of the 70s to have a big club in the capital after the, the Parc des Princes was just being renovated and they wanted a big club here. Uh, so 1970, they, they started, which is very recent compared to, you know, most of the clubs that we, the big clubs around uh, Europe that we know. Uh, and Paris has never really been a big football city, in general, um, I've always got the sense that Paris looks down on football. It uh, has a sort of aloof attitude to it. Uh, that's been my experience since I, since I've been here. Often, uh, meeting people, if you tell them you like football or if you work in football, they kind of, it's not a conversation starter, it's a conversation ender. Uh, that, that might have changed more recently. Um, and that, that, I guess, that feeling of artificiality is only increased in the last uh, nine years since the Qataris took over, because uh, Paris PSG suddenly had all this money that none of their rivals in France had. It's felt like a, an artificial injection of, of finance, and they they have had big names in the past. You know, you think of George Weir or Ronaldinho, but they were they weren't at their complete peak then, and now they get. Big players right at their peak. And um, so for the rest of France, they just look like a a club that's artificially being launched into the stratosphere of uh, European football.
0: Yeah, if I I may, the the, the problem that a lot of of fans of football outside Paris are feeling is that they are not in the same dimension than us. So it's not really funny now to play against Paris because... (laughs) <laughs> you know you, you know that they are like i don't know i don't know many galaxies above and it's not a and it's because of money it's not because uh, for example like lyon in the 2000s they were they were the best team in france and um, i mean so it had huge rivalry with marseille as well but it felt kind of fair you felt like okay you beat us fair and square it's really enraging when you were a fan but you think okay what can we do you know you're better but here with paris you feel like yeah, come on, when you didn't have money, you know, we were kicking your ass. And now it's impossible to even, like, you know, reach your toe. That's not normal. And uh, there is that kind of um, injustice that a lot of people felt in France, I think.
2: I think that's a a fair point. And um, and the comparison of Lyon is interesting because Lyon, when they were on top, uh, they did it largely through having a great academy, bringing through young players. Whereas PSG... Do bring through young, good young players, but most of the time those young players get to a certain point and they think, "I need to leave here because I'm never going to get in this team." Because they're buying, you know, I think I'm ready to step up to the next level, but but the, the club owners are buying in these talents from you know around the world who have to start because they cost so much money, and so that also feeds, I think, uh, the sense that. When it comes to Europe, PSG are more a team of uh, talented individuals than a, than a true team, um, and I think their reputation around Europe, uh, at least until last season, was it, when it comes to the big games in Europe, they uh, they just find a way to choke. They, they, the, the egos clash. They they don't come together as a set of players. Um, maybe that's changed since last season, but I think for a lot of people, that that will take some uh, some effort to get rid of after you know the Barcelona game, the Manchester United game.
1: Yeah, I guess it's kind of a reputation that's it's, it's going to be around for quite a while until they actually really kind of win a trophy in Europe. You know, I think it's going to be following around for quite a while. But one thing I was interested in was the comparison in, and you touched it there, Chris, the comparison of the structure of the cities. Because Marseille, um, the kind of poorer, kind of getaways areas, seems to be spread around the city. And even if you're in a poor area, um, you still feel a part of Marseille. You still feel identification of the city. Whereas in Paris, as you mentioned, the poor communities are pushed to the outskirts of the Montmoulin, and they don't feel the same with identification with, with Paris as a city or as a concept. And I thought, in the Cooper um, article recently in the Financial Times, we spoke about when KSI came into the club and PSG, they kind of really banished the ultra elements of the supporting base outside of the club and got rid of the more, maybe, uh, I don't know, what's the word, raucous supporters. But then brought them back in when they realized that they were missing their flair and their their style. So, I'm trying to ask you, Chris, what do you think about that? How important is the banlieue to the idea of Paris as a club and as a city?
2: Well, it's an interesting one because um, if you look at uh, the map of European football and where talents come from, the suburbs of Paris are probably the 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 most productive hotspot in Europe for young talents at major clubs. Uh, around the continent um, i mean it seems like a, every big club has uh, someone who who developed his game in uh, in the suburbs of paris and um, in terms of the culture of psg as a club they i mean they do have a pretty big following in the bonlier and like some famous um, rappers who wear their shirts in rap videos uh, they they have got a connection with 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 the bonnier but it's not something that they necessarily advertise um, globally. I think the the ideal marketing target of PSG is a kind of middle class fan who who sees football as, in the same way as they see theatre. So there is a there is definitely a, a tension there. And for
1: you, Morad, how do you feel the connection is like in Marseille between the poor elements of the city and the club?
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to 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 precise a point is that in Marseille we have a strong division as well between what you can call um, the south and the north of the city. There is these huge uh, huge areas because there 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 are several that are called Cartier Nord, which is like the north neighborhood if you if you want. And they are really poor. They are among the poorest in all Europe. And a lot of people there feel that they are kind of put apart of the rest of the city. And yeah, to to, to to for a guy that live in the city center, I can tell you that you rarely really go to those Cartier Nord. and uh, but still, those people there, I think we, um, I don't think I know, will still be OM fan, and it's something I, I think Marseille has an organic relation with this football club, with their football club, with its football club. It's really something that you know when a new owner came to to buy OM, he has to go to to the city hall to buy the club, (laughs) you know, that's really something special because the city all had um, a hand in the club. I mean, it's less and less true with the years passing and uh, them having less and less power over something symbolical like um, the association that was things that was um, handling the the youth team. Now they do not have that, but still, it's still, there is still this image of the mayor of the city, the ex-owner and the new owner, like side by side to announce something, so it's. I, I think yeah, Paris is is the capital. It has all of this museum attraction, theater. In Marseille, OEM is the center of the city. Is the heart of the city. You look at uh, uh, at the panorama panorama view of the city, you will see that velodrome. It's really something that everybody feels something for OM. Though I might say that with the development of modern football and Champions League and so on and so on, we are seeing more and more Paris shirts in the street. And that's kind of weird. You know, 10 years ago, you would never see a Paris shirt in the street, but now you see it. So anyway, to sum up, yeah, Marse- every Marseille have an history with the club and has it inside him.
2: If I, if I could just say something there, um, in a lot of ways, Marseille maybe can't compete with PSG, but when it comes to the stadium, uh, there's no there's no comparison. The, the Stade of Velodrome is an absolutely stunning stadium. Uh, you go there and you, you're just blown away by, by the noise, by the architecture. Uh, the Parc des Princes can get noisy. It does get noisy, but uh, when you look at it, It's not super, it kind of looks like a grey concrete ball. Well, it is a grey concrete ball, Uh, whereas the Velodrome is, is an absolutely wonderful Piece of architecture, um, and on the shirts. I mean, before the the, the recent Champions League final, the, one of the news stories during the rounds here in Paris was that uh, the, the Marseille authorities had banned uh, Paris PSG shirts from the city center on the day of the Champions League final because they didn't want any trouble, and they they <laughs> they went back on that, um, but it, it did uh, did cause a bit of a stir here.
1: Very interesting, yeah, and just going to the roots of that rivalry, like the classic, isn't rivalry of city rivals so there's something else there I wanted to ask both of you what makes the rivalry what it is what makes it so hot what makes it so that when PSG lost the Champions League final, there was people dancing in the streets of Marseille uh, and also what was the role of respectively Bernard Tapie from the Marseille side in developing this rivalry and also the role of KSI in almost quenching rivalry so if I start with you Morad.
0: Okay, yeah, you you you, you mentioned him. It's Bernard Tapie that basically created this uh, rivalry. Actually, uh, among the few investors that uh, wanted to make a, a football club in Paris wa- while creating Paris Saint-Germain was um, Marcel Leclerc, that was the president of OM in the 1970s. So. It was not such a huge rivalry between uh, Paris Saint Germain and Olympique de Marseille till the late 80s and beginning of the 90s. The fact is that uh, this sports rivalry became when Bernard Tapie uh, finished. Girondin Bordeaux, that was the big team in France in the eighties. They were no longer existing because their president made some um, some some mistake financially, we will call it, and uh, he needed a a rival because you know he knew that for to perform in Europe he needed a a rival, and uh, he encouraged Canal Plus to go and buy Paris Saint-Germain. And then it kind of created this uh, animosity, this uh, anger between the two clubs. And that's the, the official story, if we, if we want. Though there is some other people that will tell you, like Marseille had always been a rebellious city in France uh, against the authority of the capital. And some people find some um, some roots there, it's to, be, it's to be defined, but yeah, when you live in Marseille and you talk to, to, to people in Marseille, you feel this kind of, uh, I don't know how to call it, but they, they do not really like the authority of the capital. So, um, I mean, uh, the way I see it is that Bernard Tapie just prospered on something that was uh, like kind of a deep-rooted feeling and he just like uh, watered it and let it grow. Uh, that's how I see the thing.
1: And do people in Marseille consider themselves to be Marseille first and French second, or, or what?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> not. It's not a question. I mean, obviously, when when French team, when national French team is winning, I mean, people are happy here as well. But. If you ask them, uh, will you want another World Cup or another Champions League, there is no question. I and mean, Everybody wants to go for the Champions League and nobody will care if we go beaten in the first, uh, in the group stage in the next World Cup. That's that's for sure. I mean, people really feel a, strong, a stronger attachment to their city than to the country. I think for, for me, it's clear.
1: And for you, Chris, what do you feel about rivalry?
0: Well, I guess the first thing to say is that, um, I mean, France has a
2: kind of a strange football culture and you don't find any city rivalries anywhere in France. Um, and that's part of why the PSG-Marseille rivalry made sense with them being the two biggest cities. Uh, I mean, there are local clubs here, but they've always been too small to compete with PSG and um, they haven't been in the first division in Ligue 1 for many years. Uh, France doesn't have the same intense football culture that some other countries do, but I mean, there are places that do. Marseille is one of them and, and maybe Lens in the north. Um, but uh, the point about Bernard Tappy and Canal Place is, uh, is absolutely spot on. I mean, that's really, that's really when it all started. And, and uh, it, you know, it feels a little artificial, but it kind of, it does actually make sense. I mean, as Morad said, uh, I mean, that the, the history between the two cities is full of, um resentment maybe I mean it goes back a long way I would say at least to the French revolution when uh, France became like a very centralized country and suddenly Paris was telling everyone else what to do and that didn't go down particularly well and I mean it, it went a long way I mean they uh, the, the French state got rid of like the local languages I mean there was a there's a language in in the Marseille region which they stamped out uh, so there's like at least you know 200 years of uh, resentment that's kind of boiled away there and even today uh, you hear uh, the the different regions complain that Paris underfunds the regions and neglects the regions and um, it's kind of a similar story to you know for for fans of say English football uh, how the north of England uh, reacts to to London Uh, except that PSG is the only club here um, for people to direct their animosity at whereas London has so many different clubs that none of them really represent London in the way that PSG represents Paris in the game,
1: yeah, definitely, definitely, um, and also Tati was a Parisian, wasn't he? That kind of adds another dimensions at all.
0: Yeah, he, he was from Paris, and he, he was big, big star in in France in the eighties. I mean, what the guy didn't do, I don't know. He was, uh, I mean, he was boss, boss of industry. He was the the boss of some uh, cycling team of some. Uh, he was minister, he did almost everything. And a lot of people will tell you here that if he went down for this corruption affair, it's because he was not that far from becoming the mayor of Marseille, which is not completely proven, but for sure he had um, some views on the on the city hall. But yeah, he's from Paris. But and, and there is a certain paradox there because uh, because a lot of people have, have resentment toward Bernard Tapie or had... In the last decades, in the last decades, but the only place in France where uh, is all is always welcome was Marseille and is Marseille and Marseille kept uh, immense love for for the guy that is actually from Paris, but kind of uh, embrace their uh, their value of uh, independence and to kind of, uh, I, mean, to kind of uh, I don't know how to put it, but to to defy constantly authority that's what he was doing and I think that's what uh, the city of Marseille wants to do
2: just to say something more about uh, Bernard Tappi, um, unless we forget uh, the whole match fixing scandals in the early 90s I think also fueled the rivalry uh, there was uh, some games where uh, PSG would accuse, had accused Marseille of match fixing before I guess the, the official sanction came down and that obviously angered a lot of people in Marseille and uh, kind of fed into the rivalry at the time. Uh, but I mean, and another point about that, that period was that was when the two clubs won their European trophies. And uh, they're the only two French teams to have won European trophies still to this day. And uh, that kind of sets them apart from everyone else. And, um, and is obviously, uh, a, a, you know, a source of, of the rivalry, especially with PSG going, trying to match, uh, Marseille in winning the Champions League and Marseille being able to say, um, a jamais les premiers, forever the first. Uh, even if PSG
0: do get there, Marseille will be like, we we got there first, so you know, we're we're better than you. Yeah, and actually that's the big uh, the big stake nowadays in this rivalries for Marseille. Do not want Paris to win the Champions League. We want to to stay forever as jamais le premier, and that's all. And that's really we, we are celebrating now defeat of Paris because we do not want them to to to, to join us in that club. Okay, it's an exclusive club. <laughs> sure, yeah. Marseille
1: Marseille being the first French club to win the Champions League in 1993, and then PSG to follow up by winning the first French when the Cup Winners' Cup in ninety six, I think, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but then, and then regarding KSI, Qatar Sports Investments, has that kind of been like a bookend to the tapir? Has that kind of almost quenched the rivalry on the pitch to the extent where it's almost like you know bringing a knife to a gunfight?
2: The Qatari owners um, have always had uh, one goal, and that is Europe. Uh, their motto is Dream Bigger. I mean, they're looking beyond French borders, and They have been since they came in, and uh, so that has relegated the rivalry to the backseat. Um, I mean, Marseille—they won the, the last game, which although it was a kind of ugly game that still it drags on in the news for you know bad reasons—it was it, it was refreshing to see Marseille win the game because they hadn't won. the, the fixture since 2010 and, um, and, and QSI took over in 2011 um, but with, you know, with the express aim of looking beyond French borders and, and PSG have picked up a lot of new fans since um, the Qataris came in like bandwagon fans you might say who don't have that memory of uh, the rivalry who kind of really don't care about Ligue 1 who just assume that PSG will win the league title every season and all that matters to them is the Champions League and even kind of don't pay attention to that until, you know, we get to uh, the round of 16 in February and March. Uh, I mean, those are the games, that are the only games that matter to them. Uh, so it has, in a way, relegated the rivalry, which is, which is a shame. But there have been, even in this period, though, there have been some, some good games. I remember uh, Cavani scoring a last minute free kick to equalize at the Velodrome, uh, which was, you know, which brought back some, some memories of the, the great years.
0: Mm-hmm. Though, though it still has this um, I mean we it, it has this thing like uh, paris needs to to keep this bond with their um, historical fan base and winning this game I know that it's important for, for for that part of paris fan and I remember like for example like this Cavani equalizer at the last minute then Paris uh, land, landed in Paris I mean, arrived in, uh, in, in the airport at 2 or 3 a.m. And it was people there to congratulate them. And it's one of the rare games that still count for something in uh, in Paris' season in Ligue 1. But obviously, it counts for way less than it used to because um, because for all the reasons that Chris said and that are exact.
1: Yeah, but I think I can remember that game. Wasn't that the game where the week before they'd been playing in the Champions League, PSG, and Mbappe had been asked about... The the And he kind of said, it's just another game, really, you know, our focus is on the Champions League. And then that was when they went to Marseille and were overwhelmed by the intensity. And then the next week, they beat them 3-0 or something, I think, when they realized they had to really pay attention to this game because the Paris fans were like, you need to focus on this game. We need to beat Marseille.
0: It's possible. I do not uh, recall it exactly. Maybe Chris will have...
2: (laughs) I don't remember the exact details. There might, there might have been around the time that I think Mbappé and Rabio might have been suspended for being late for a meeting. And uh, there was a whole polemic, as they said in France, about uh, how they were going to be punished. And um, Mbappé was allowed to come on in that game.
0: This was the this was the, the game, um, I mean, the last game of Freddy Garcia, you know, MPSG when Mbappé was on the bench and then he came up at the 70th minute and he won the game uh, alone. Oh, okay. Oh, and difficult. we have, and we still lost. So it was promoting. <laughs> <laughs> that was the main uh, main things. But yeah, anyway, like the the thing is that OM can beat Paris only if uh, Paris is not completely in the game. Because like right now they had this all of those COVID cases. Neymar had barely trained. Di Maria as well. Mbappe wasn't there. And uh, so they were a bit weakened. And if they are full strength, we do not stand a chance. And we tried everything. And to to, to be frank, at one point, I was really fed up with this rivalry because every year is the same. It's a big marketing uh, machine as well. And Marseille was always losing. You know, it's like if if Paris are focused, if the Parisianers are focused, we oh, yeah, are doomed. It's uh, it's nothing to do. We 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 had as well this game with Bielsa. and that was. Uh, I mean, we were still dreaming of the title. In that uh, it was uh, in April or May. I mean, April more. And the stadium was full. It was one of the best animation in the stand that we ever saw. It was great, and we were leading two one at half time. We were thinking we can do it, and then they are just superior. And um, I mean, technically, physically, you know, Zlatan and all of those guys. And it's so, it, really, to beat Paris now, OM need them to to be weakened somehow. And uh, we had this, and, and even like that, we are not sure to to succeed. One year, Paris was uh, had a red card. We had a penalty. We were leading one 0 after half an hour, and we still managed to lose two one. <laughs> It was like, how come? We are home? Come on, we, you you cannot do that. It's not possible. It, it was and it was and so I, at one point, really, I think that it was not so strong. But this summer, I think the the rivalry kind of um, I don't know, like got a, a second use somehow. Because maybe because of lockdown, I was talking about that in um, in another podcast actually yesterday. Maybe because of lockdown, people felt that need of uh, of celebrating something. Then a lot of Parisianer came to came to holiday in Marseille, and uh, so all of this thing. And it was this Champions League, this final eight. Uh, some celebrate the first victory against Atalanta Bergam, and it didn't. Uh, didn't went fine with, with OM fan here, and then the the OM fan started to retaliate, and uh, we finished by having this uh, the, this thing that Chris was talking initially, like with the, the ban of uh, of Paris shirt in all the city. Finally, the Paris shirt was was the but nobody <laughs> dared to, to wear it. And uh, finally, when Paris lost the final, everybody celebrated kind of in answer to, to what they felt was an aggression in their territory. And uh, now when we Paris. It was a crazy party in you know, all the city, fireworks and uh, and all of that type of things, the main square being invited and, uh, and just for victory in championship. So I think the v- rivalries uh, came back, but it was almost dead in my eye.
1: Yeah. Did you feel that, because you've also written a book about um, Marcelo Bielsa time at Marseille, did you feel that with him in charge, the impossible was possible and that you kind of felt that even though you, incomparable resources to Paris Saint-Germain, that Marcelo's genius would possibly propel you to, you know, heights yeah. possible.
0: Yeah, that's the thing with Bielsa: the impossible is possible. <laughs> we we really felt. that... I mean, now the title seems unreachable for us, really. And this year, we believe that we will be that we could be champions of France. I mean, we were. Ahead on the um, in January, and we were believing in it. And uh, until I mean, it was seven game I think left, and we were still like in, in the mix there. And uh, we really felt that it was believe I mean that we could believe in it. And um, yeah, th- th- there is so much to say. That's why I wrote a book about it because there is so much to say about. What Bielsa bring, what Bielsa ask, because when you look back, this team was really average. You know, we had guys like Morel, Fanny in the central defense, and uh, you know they had to face a guy like Zlatan. That was like you know two different worlds, but we 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 did <laughs> we did it. And uh, yeah, like right now, for example, okay, I will try to focus a bit. <laughs> right now, we beat Paris by being really defensive and to to just like try to to score on free kick. That's what we did, and then we defended. That's it with marcelo bielsa both game against paris we felt okay we will look we we'll look at you in the eyes and we will come there to to play better than you and to beat you fortunately we we lost uh, two times because they are stronger but and this feeling was amazing that you feel like okay they have the better player but we will beat them with our team um yeah so we really I mean, bielsa is something it's something you have to leave, really
1: <laughs> yeah i can imagine i guess bielsa could, could consist of a whole podcast by himself putting in his Character. But just linking that to what you mentioned, that you both mentioned, um, the recent league victory that Marseille had over PSG. And obviously, there's been kind of, you know, issues around off the pitch stuff that we won't go into here because it's too complex for a podcast. And it's also kind of still up in the air. But regarding the football, I remember reading that uh, when Thomas Touchett was walking off the pitch, he said to Andre Villas Boas that he should win the lottery. And Villas Boas responded by saying that, well, you, didn't do, you, should, you did the lottery against um, Leipzig, I think it was. wasn't it, in the semi finals, Champions League. Um, but Or Atlanta, sorry, Atlanta. Um, but I tried to ask you both about the significance of Thomas Tuchel for PSG and Andrew villas boas for Marseille. So, regarding villas boas it seems from the outside that he's almost the polar opposite to Bielsa as a character, and he's kind of almost a very kind of methodical character. And this Marseille team is quite methodical and quite kind of below the radar. So I want to ask you in the first, the two, Mirad, what do you think of the job that Villas Boas has done since he came to the club? Um, How has he changed the identity of Marseille and how has he molded a strong collective?
0: Yeah, I would say the I would say the old feeling that I get from Villas Boas is that he's a competent manager, and um, he, the football that we are playing is not dreaming at all. But we are dreaming <laughs> with the result, and we really need it. I mean, he kind of put some order in the club. That's the thing. Last year, he he said one thing to um to to the journalist. He said, you know, in, in in six months with Antonio Zubizarreta, that was the former sport director, we kind of Bring calm and peace in the in one of the most unstable club, and he was it was perfectly right. That's what he brought. He brought like a peace and quiet in this club, and uh, yeah, I, I still expect to see a bit more on the field. Though his first season was really really satisfying, but now we are we are a bit in danger because. We the, the first six months of Villas Boas was alternating between some interesting football and some really pragmatic football. When we were reading, winning, uh, winning one nil with uh, one goal in uh, some free kick or corner or something like that, and uh, some some victory that were satisfying in terms of the of the content of the game. And then from January, starting to play a kind of a limited, I mean, how to say, like a, a game with not that much inside, but a winning game, and it was okay. We were thinking, okay, now we are in mission. We need to go back in Champions League. And it was okay. For that time, then the championship finish, finished. Now it's restarted, and uh, Villas-Boas restarted to play in this kind of... Um, we are waiting for the team to come to us, and then we will counter them, or we will score in free kick. And we saw in the last two games that uh, this strategy can be dangerous. So, um, I don't know. This season is really... I don't know what to expect from it, but uh, yeah, definitely Villas Boas brought some stability in the club.
1: And for you, Chris, how important has Thomas Tuchel been in the development of PSG recently? Because he's kind of one of the most lauded managers in European football in the last few years. And like you said earlier, the kind of common criticism of PSG has been that they've been a team of individuals, of like Neymar and Mbappe and um, the like. How has he balanced the politics? of Paris Saint-Germain in terms of you know giving the star players the game time and allowing them to have their parties and all that kind of thing with his own views and coaching how important has he been to the development of PSG as a well? club? Well
2: I think probably the first thing to say about um, that is the way that the people around Europe look at French football and the way people in France look at it, it seems to be very different because you might be surprised to hear that actually Tuchel cool is a uh, is quite a contentious figure here. And um, even after the Marseille defeat, uh, there were stories about his job being on the line, um, about the players losing patience with him, uh, despite having reached the Champions League final just a month ago. Uh, there's still a lot of discussion about him. Uh, he's, he's kind of clashed with, I mean, in terms of, you mentioned the politics, he's clashed with uh, the sporting director, Leonardo, um, on some pretty important transfer decisions, uh, he's had disagreements with, uh, Mbappe in the past. The, um, I remember there was a game last season where they kind of argued on the, the pitch that was, went viral, um, and it was not the first time that they had disagreed. Um, Tukul, cool, even before Leonardo had disagreements with the previous sporting director, he won, he won that argument. But Leonardo is a more powerful figure at the club because he, this is his second spell. And in the first spell, he's very successful and he's also a former player. Um, but Tukul, too cool, Tukul, too cool. In his first season, he started really well. Uh He was setting records. I think he was the first PSG manager to win his first five league games. Um And then uh, come that round of 16, the uh, PSG have had trouble in in the past. They lost to Man U in, in, a, in a spectacular collapse at home, like 3-1, uh, having won 2-0 at Old Trafford. I mean it. For for everyone, that in <laughs> yeah. Sure. For everyone uh, involved with PSG, it was like okay, here we go again. Like he's not changed anything. This is still the same. And uh, the, the you know the word was that when PSG lost uh, in Dortmund in the round of sixteen last, this, well, I guess last season now, um, Leonardo was looking for a replacement, and despite. How well they did after that and really the home game. I mean, it was so comfortable. It was, uh, it was, uh, for me, that was a turning point for them. They, and I think it helped that there weren't any fans there for that game because of uh, the pandemic. Uh, I, I, feel like sometimes the atmosphere gets to the PSG players. So they might have been helped by that, but they, they look so comfortable. They never looked in any problems in that game at all. Um, but even now there's, there's talk that Leonardo is talking with, um, Max Allegri about taking over and there's this sense that he wants his own man on the bench eventually, but. I personally, I think a lot of that is unfair because, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think Tukul has changed a fair few things. I mean, let's not forget them. He replaced Unai Emery, who just never seemed a good fit. I mean, he never looked comfortable. The communication was an issue. I mean, I remember press conferences with him and I would just sit there thinking, what did he just say? He was speaking in French and uh, some version of French and. Tuchel's French is already better than you know Um he seemed intimidated by the players. He just did not seem on the right wavelength for a club of the size of PSG. And they met, and they lost the title to Monaco, which I mean it's just you know, for PSG it's unthinkable. Uh you when you see Tuchel in press conferences, uh he kinda had this twinkle in his eye, you know, I don't know. Seems like someone who knows what he's doing. And he's he's not been perfect and he's made some pretty big mistakes along the way. But, I mean one of the big things about him is is Tactical flexibility. Uh, he's tried out pretty much every formation. Innovated with Marquinhos as a as a kind of hybrid defender midfielder in the same game, um, kind of flitting between the two depending on whether PSG have the ball or not. And uh, that's worked really well in some games, like particularly Liverpool uh, at home last year. He's got the best out of Di Maria, who under Unai Umri- Emery was just disappearing from view and people were talking about this is the end of his PSG career and in the last season or so he's been arguably as important as uh, Neymar and, and Mbappe.
0: But, but the funny thing is, you know, it, like what I felt is that Paris is always picking up the, the wrong coach because, you know, Emery as to are they are like People that developed player that create things and um, and in Paris that's not what you want what you want because you already you have like <laughs> overdeveloped player you have player that you do not have to teach them that much and you need a manager you need a guy like Ancelotti that they had. Or oh, like right now, we have Villas-Boas that it's not the same caliber than Ancelotti. But it it, it always shocked me like to think, but why do they go get such a guy? You know, I think that Emery or Tuchel in Marseille would probably be better because they, you know, you need to develop the potential in Marseille. But in Paris, on the player are already, it's kind of hard to teach something to Neymar, for example.
2: I think that, uh, Tuchel would and will would eventually do really well at a club where there's less internal politics. I mean, not that that's not something that happens in Marseille, because I mean, that's Marseille are famous for that as well. Um, but Tuchel, I see what you mean. But one of the, I guess when you, when you hear him speak, one of the, the, the main things he talks about as being important as a coach is instilling a sense of calmness and uh, insulating his players from outside pressures and at PSG that is something that, that you know happens a lot uh, outside pressure media pressure from uh, lequipe or le parisien newspapers and he has managed i think to cut the players off from that to some extent and the you know, at the end of last season um the players talked about being a family, like all, all the interviews with the play, even Neymar was saying, this is the happiest I've ever been uh, in Paris. And just, you know, the summer before he was trying to leave for Barcelona. And I think Tuchel has kind of given them a kind of framework to develop a bond among each other, uh, which they didn't have before. And, um, there was a talk of, of this pact, this famous pact that Verratti talked about before uh, the final tournament in Lisbon, um, which bore, bore fruits. But, I mean, you know, you can, I was slightly suspicious of it because you've kind of heard that thing before, but getting those two late goals against Atalanta was um, not what you'd expect from PSG in Europe. I mean, normally, uh, yeah, the losing 1-0 in the 89th minute, you, or 90th minute, you, you expect that to be game over, but he has. Uh, It took more than one season, and that's not a surprise because, I mean, that had become part of the DNA, that kind of, I don't don't like the word, but like that bottling um, tendency in Europe was so ingrained going back a long time, and inevitably it It was going to take more than a year. And on the evidence of last season, Dortmund game as well, Atalanta, I mean, Leipzig was in a semi-final of a Champions League, you're lucky if you play against Leipzig. So I don't know how much we can read into that, but getting them to the final, um, it, it has looked like Tuchel has managed to kind of maybe break that that mental frailty that they had.
1: Definitely, yeah. And I just want to ask you about the, uh, the influences on the picture of PSG. So, I mean, Thiago Silva is obviously, you know, kind of a modern icon for the club and he's left this summer. So I want to know what your opinion is on him leaving Chelsea and the kind of gap he leaves in the club. But also I want to know about the relationship between Kylian Mbappe and Neymar. Because, as you mentioned, there's a better path there this season. I've read that Neymar has been organizing parties at his house, or dinners maybe is a better word, to kind of try and bring the squad closer together. So, I wanted to ask you about the loss of Thiago Silva, the development of Neymar as a person. seems to have grown up this year, from the outside at least, anyway. And his performances seem to reflect that in Europe, especially. And also, killing Mbappe. There's rumors here in Spain that he's going to Real Madrid next season, for instance, next summer. So I wanted to ask you about the absence of Thiago Silva this season, the development of Neymar as a person, and also the future of Kylian Mbappe. Will he be here next season or what do you think?
0: I think I'm not really qualified to talk about that, so I, I, I will let Chris talk. But I can say that Neymar became kind of um, some special figure in France because he's in one hand is the, the 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 marketing like attraction for all the sponsor everything for 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 Ligue 1, but on the other hand a lot of people are reproaching him what you always reproach to 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 Neymar to fall easy to cry to something something so. It's really, really hard, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that th- those are not my players that I'm following um, day by day. I can say though that Thiago Silva was always really good against uh, against OM, and I'm I was always surprised to see him uh, having those type of meltdown in Europe because in Liga he was, I mean, it was really, really, really great, and including against us. Yeah, well, uh,
2: Thiago Silva actually is one of the areas where Tuchel and Leonardo disagreed. Um, uh, Tuchel wanted to keep him uh, f- for at least another year, and uh, Leonardo was having none of it. He is uh, a fantastic defender, but he did come in for a lot of criticism in Europe. I mean, that Barcelona game, they lost six one. He was accused of letting the defense drop too deep, and there was a sense that he can't. He was one of the reasons why they had that mental frailty in Europe. That he, he just he wasn't cut out for the, the high pressure games. Uh, I don't know how fair that is. I mean, I remember him scoring uh, a late header against Chelsea in a Champions League knockout game that was um, pretty epic when they had been playing with like 10 players uh, for a long time. Ibrahimovic had got sent off. Um, I mean, they'll miss him, but uh, he was on the downturn. I don't know how old he is now, 35 maybe. Um, I don't know how many games he'll get with Chelsea. You know, he probably wouldn't have been a regular starter. And Marquinhos... He's got the armband now. He's a fantastic player. Um, he's so combative. He's so committed. Uh, he seems to have upped his scoring rate as well. I mean, he scored at the weekend and uh, he got a couple of goals in in Lisbon. Um, I mean, it's kind of a shame to lose him in midfield when he does go in midfield because I mean, he is you know his best position is as a centre back, and then alongside him, uh, Kimpembe is really developing into an excellent defender. Yeah, uh, he had some problems, you know, um, along the way. Kind of lost track of his, you know, his, his progress. Kind of went off the tracks. But I think he last season he looked like he was he was back on track. And when Bernat on the on the left is out for six months, but he's been an underrated presence in that defence. And then um, they brought in Florenzi, uh, the former Roma player, who's looked really excellent so far, and is probably PSG's best player against Marseille. Uh, so you know, yeah, you feel good about the defence, and, and then. The, the replacements, Cara, uh Diallo, pretty solid as well. And then behind them, Navas has been um, a revelation in a problem position for PSG. And actually, an interesting point you mentioned—the parties, uh, the PSG players—every year coming under in for criticism after uh, between the, the first and second legs of the round of 16, because it falls on Neymar's birthday and he has a you know a big event. And that happened again uh, this year. Um, but apparently, behind the scenes, it was Kalo Navas who said to Leonardo and and Tuchel, who were like annoyed about it, um, you know, you brought me here because you want to know how to win Champions Leagues. And, and this is how, you know, the, let the players enjoy themselves together. And, you know, he was proved right. I mean, those kind of events forged that bond between the players. And, um, you know, and we saw that in the, how that season went. Neymar, well, I mean, he's another one who, I mean, yeah, last, last summer he wanted to leave the club. Uh, he looks to have turned around on that. And it, I mean, he, he and Mbappe together are so important. Like, not just one or the other, although, you know, if you have one or the other, you, you still have a great team. But they just have an affinity on the pitch. And I remember before the Champions League final, there was um, a quote I read from a former PSG player, uh, Alain Roche, who said that uh, um, Neymar is the bow and Mbappe is the arrow and I thought oh that's not that's nice I like that Uh, the way that Neymar does the creative build up work brings the ball forward takes it past players looks for the pass and then Mbappe uses all his pace to get free behind the defence and then put the ball in the net and if if PSG are missing both of them they just don't look like the same team at all Uh, Neymar He, you know, he said he's happier than ever in Paris, and uh, it doesn't look like Barcelona are in any kind of position to come in for him. Certainly not this year. Who knows what effects ultimately the pandemic will have on like market prices, but it's probably a safe bet that he'll be here for a little while. And Mbappe, I think you're right though. I think he's young enough, ambitious enough that eventually he will leave, and Real Madrid uh, looks like a logical destination. And uh, I think, I think. Now, Liverpool also have an eye on him, and I wouldn't be surprised eventually if he says okay I've done everything I can do here. Um, it's time for me to go. on. you know, I can't. I can't see him spending his entire career at PSG, not at all.
1: And for you, Murad, um, who are the key figures in the Marseille team? Uh, we know it's kind of a collective, um, but like the likes of Boubacar Kamara, uh, and who else? Who do you feel are the kind of the leading figures in this team, both from a personality standpoint and on the pitch?
0: I mean, for sure, we are really dependent on the performance of uh, Dimitri Payet and uh, Florian Tovin. I mean, Florian Tovin is really kind of regular in his performance, but what was reproached to him was that he was not there in the big occasion. Now he scored against Paris. He scored, uh, he scored two and gave two goals since the beginning of the season. So we can say that he restart on a solid basis. But then, and then Dimitri Payet is um, only. He's either a genius or nothing at all. So it's really hard. Last season, he was a genius. Really, we we owe our second place to him, to his performance. So I would say that definitely if we do not have a like, great Payet and great Tovin, OM will be a completely different side. And it kind of pained me because I would prefer them just to be kind of cherries on the cake. I mean, can have both two cherries. Okay. <laughs> but we, I would prefer that. But the, the thing is that those last months, we really kind of have, a, um, I mean, they are the old cakes and that's a problem. Then, yeah, we have, um, a lot of uh, young prospect we have Boubacar kamara that is really good he started at the, as, as central defender but now he's a uh, defensive midfielder we have as well duyet charitatzar that is Croatian, and that is playing as well central back and i think he's is uh, he's the kind of guy that you can imagine in uh, in premier league for example because he's i mean he is he's strong he's big and he's having a he's having a good right feet that can uh, send the ball wherever, wherever he wants. So I think he's a, um, he's a hot prospect. But uh, yeah, no, nobody is as important as uh, Tova Payet, ex- except maybe Modonda as well. And especially when you play uh, so defensive as we are since the beginning of this season, you really need a good uh, goalkeeper. And I think we have now seven points and um, Steph Modonda <laughs> probably brought us three or, or so by himself. So yeah, I would say Mandanda, Payet, and Tovin are the three um, are the three keys for for succeeding to make a good season.
1: Very interesting. Um, and for both of you, I want to finish things off by asking what your opinions are for this league on season. How you feel Marseille and PSG will perform both in France and also in Europe, both including in the Champions League obviously. So, if I could ask you, um, first, Chris, what are your thoughts on PSG this season? What's your expectation for how they perform domestically and in the Champions League?
2: Well, I'm going to make a, a bold prediction here and say I think PSG will win a league. Up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not really uh, going out on a limb there. I know they lost their first two games, and that was the first time since 1984, which is. A and maybe not even a shock because of how little time they had to prepare for it. But last season, they lost two games early on. And I think that was also, um, it had been a long time since they'd lost the first two games that early. And by the end, I mean, in April, when the season was called off, they were a long way clear. So, uh, you know, don't be surprised if they come back strongly. Uh, the first, this next month or so might be difficult though, because the players do look pretty tired. Exhausted even, um, they've, they've had some big absences due to the coronavirus and the need to quarantine. And it's kind of hard to say how that will continue to affect PSG and the rest of the league. Um, it's just like the X factor in a way, but even with that, um, considered, and even if they miss some big players from time to time, maybe they won't win the league by as many points as in some recent years, but, uh, you know, I'm pretty confident that they'll win it again. Uh, Europe, of course, is a different story. And it's quite important, I think, that they recruit some players. You know, we talked about Thiago Silva having left. Uh, Kuskovani also left. And um, maybe less important, uh, Shubham Otting left. But they could do with a, a, someone um, to uh, play that kind of supplemental forward role, especially since Maro Icardi's form has just dropped off. And they're also looking for a defensive midfielder. I think that's an important purchase for them. If they get those players, um, it's a question of, uh, you know, the impact of last season on, on their mentality. It was, you know, was it a trigger? Was it a turning point that they have that belief that they can uh, go far in the Champions League? And, um, you know, they've got, got rid of that mental block. And is he, you know, this, it's all the proof is in the pudding. Like if they go out early, people will say, well, last season they were lucky. They had Atalanta and then Leipzig and they played Bayern and lost, you know, against the first uh, really good team they faced. But personally, I suspect that last season has helped their mentality, has helped the belief. And we, I can see them becoming uh, regulars in the, in the latter stages and challenging for the trophy. Of course, it's always difficult to win the Champions League. They'll keep on plugging away for as long as the Qataris are there, uh, bringing in big players, uh, swapping managers constantly until everything clicks. And if they never actually do make it over the finishing line, then um, I'm sure that Marseille fans will be happier than anyone.
0: <laughs> sure, but uh, you, you know, you when you talk about the, um, the season in Liga. I'm really kind of sad to because of course Paris is is really strong and it's really hard to even imagine that you can uh, you can challenge them for the title. But I think nobody even believed that they can challenge them for the title. That's really sad because maybe if um, I don't know, yeah, of course Marseille, but Monaco, Lyon. We'll just start a season with this idea. Okay, this year, who knows? Maybe Paris is losing a couple of games in Champions League. We can have uh, the win in our in, in our direction and make something. But no, all all those teams are just like just yeah, just go go on with their season and not really trying to with with really low ambition and. Uh, that was really the difference with Bielsa. <laughs> you say that he, he wants to be champion, that's all. So he can, he's coming and he's trying, and if he's failing, he will fail, but at least he, he will try. And that's really sad, because even with this beginning of the season and this, those two defeats of Paris, at one point, Marseille had six points ahead of uh, of Paris. It's not enough to, to feel like, okay, we can uh, we can really ch- challenge them. I think you know Paris needs to lose something like... 15 points, you know, like in a, in in really stupid way, like uh, like this first two game, something that they should normally not lose for any other team to have a chance. But you know, nobody nobody believe it. Everybody is really resigned in France. Like you think, like okay, anyway, Paris will win, and uh, we can do nothing. And and okay, OM was not there yet, but a team like Lyon, for example supposed to be there. Monaco was too much into trading. I I don't know. This competition, it's, it's supposed to be a competition. It, you cannot start and feel like, okay, no, there is no way in hell I can win this thing. That's terrible. That's a, a really terrible feeling. And uh, of course, it's the fault of Qataris, but it's as well the fault of uh, the other French club that do not work well enough to, to, to really challenge them because then we will have a, a, a great competition, really. Can you imagine if from abroad you're seeing like yeah there is this really rich club and all of this other club with less men that succeed to go against them that will be a great story but now in France we just like think okay they won let's uh let's fight for the second and third place so um, yeah unfortunately I think Paris will uh we will finish by <laughs> winning this season really easily and as for the Marseille campaign in Champions League I don't know I'm uh, I'm not really optimistic, (laughs) but uh, we we just lost two games in a row. So um, that's really kind. And at at first you could feel like, okay, Villas-Boas really built something solid here. But we saw that it was not so solid in the last week. So I hope we find back the solidity because the whole idea of Villas-Boas this year was to, to, to be solid to stay, to to stay in our field and uh, to to score when we could score with uh, the, the great guy for for shooting the free kick, the corner like uh, Payet, Tovan, they are really good in those exercises. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if if it will stand. But definitely, Villas Boas like kind of prepared the team to 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 face stronger opponents, and then. I mean, it's too early, but you know, last time we compete in Champions League, we got zero points. <laughs> so I hope, yeah. I hope for at least one or three will be good. I, I I will be satisfied if we if we finish in Europa League, and then we make a, a great run in Europa League because Europa League is definitely a competition that a French club could win and should win, and we've been to the final uh, two years ago and. Ah, I would love us to 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 get that because then we can say to Paris we are à jamais les premiers and à jamais les premiers to have two as well. once. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's really something we want.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's certainly it's interesting because it's kind of it is depressing in a way that like you know the inflation of wealth with in, in a league with one club renders the rest of the competition kind of almost impotent. You know, but actually as a final question, I just want to ask both of you: Is in paris chris is there an appetite for european super league and in marseille murad is there a great fear of the european super league where for instance paris would be pulled out of france um of league 1 and like how would that look like what's your opinion on that question from both sides
0: I mean, if i may our president is is dreaming of super league he really likes it he really likes the idea because he's thinking that this is how he could develop the club by being among the 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 big guy club and he really thinks that if there is a super league we i mean he's working for us to be included in that super league and personally i i really think that it's going to be terrible because it's going to lead us to 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 more situation like the one I described with Ligue 1. It's not because you are in the Super League that suddenly you will you uh, you you will have that much more money. You know there is and the economy of football so um, it, it it's really made out of pipe dream, you know of things that doesn't exist, but everybody believes that it's existing. everybody wants to develop their brand, okay, all right, you know our president Jacques wants to develop the brand, all right, but if you go into Asia, you know you will have to compete with Manchester United with paris Saint Germain that is already there with Barcelona, Real Madrid you know come on you 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 need to develop differently, and I think football needs to come back to a more balance. Um, I mean, strength. Uh, that the balance of the strength is uh, is better. You know, you you need. It's not normal that a guy that should shine in Marseille is the third choice in Paris or in Manchester City. That is really sad for him and for us and for the world of football because then when uh, Paris Saint-Germain is coming to play against Marseille, they have a stronger opponent and you know, the game got more salt and pepper. You know, I like salt and pepper in my food, so, so that's uh, I'm really terrified by this idea, but our president is really, really liked it.
1: Very interesting.
0: And in Paris, Chris, what's the general sentiment? Well, <clears throat> I don't know the
2: official position of uh, the PSG uh, owners on that, but uh, reading between the lines, I, I would say that they would be for it. It matches their idea of uh, just being a global brand. And if they could put uh, games like, you know, Angers and Brest behind them and start playing. Um, the likes of say Ajax, the Ajax being like the small team in the uh, Super League. I mean, that would be that absolutely match their their um, ambitions and their their idea of themselves as a as a global brand, um, always at the front lines of the game. I think for the fans, it would be a shame to go into a Super League having not won the traditional Champions League. But on the other hand, I mean like I was saying about French football before, that there isn't a huge tradition of um, travelling fans within Liga. I mean, you get you do get away fans, but not in the way you you get them in England, for example. And so the fact that they would be missing out on trips to Toulouse would not be a big loss for them. I think they would adapt.
1: Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of a complex situation because on one hand, I think everyone realises that a European Super League would be very... Interesting to watch, and it would be a real product that so you could sell all over the world. But then, on the other hand, you would lose what makes football, football you know, the culture and the traditions and the possibilities of kind of building a team from nothing almost, you know. But I guess even in this modern world, it's kind of difficult to do that anyway.
0: Yeah, and actually, you know, I, I say that um, our president is really favorable to this idea, but it's not even that, it's just saying. He's saying it's, it is the sense of the history. We cannot uh, go backward. That's uh, that's the way it's going to be. And so that's his official position. But then in private, <laughs> I think he kind of liked the idea as well, especially if he can be in. Uh, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course, I understand. Yeah, But anyway, guys, um, thanks very much for coming on and having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. I think it was a really interesting conversation. And I think that we did a good job in getting to the heart of Marseille and Paris as a city. And also Marseille and PSG is clubs, you know. I think the rivalry is quite unique in European football. And I think that if anybody has not watched the Classic before, they should definitely watch it whenever they a the chance, especially when there's fans in the stadium, which I hope to be relatively soon. But uh, anyway, guys, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you, Murad.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: And thank you, Chris.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Very much appreciated. I hope that Enjoyed this episode of the European Football Show and um, I'm sure we'll be able to get both of the guys on again sometime during the season uh, to get an update in French football. So, uh, thanks very much for joining us and I hope you join us again next week for a new